1: hello and welcome to another episode of over under movies the podcast in which we discuss one overrated and one underrated movie uh within the same style director uh actor or genre or however really we see fit i am Octay Ege kozak
0: and i'm andy crump
1: and this episode we're going to be discussing uh my picks uh we don't really have an overrated pick uh this time around um We're doing another underrated director picks, uh, which we've done in the past with um, uh, one of our co-hosts, Eric McClanahan, uh, did one with with Ben Wheatley, where he picked three uh, underrated movies from him, and this was before uh, High Rise and Free Fire had come out. And uh, we had done this about with Joe Dante's films, and every once in a while we like to bring up uh, a director that we feel or at least one of us feels, is uh, underrated. And these are going to be my picks, and the director for this episode is going to be Emer Rica a Serbian director which, uh, stateside at least, hasn't really made much of a splash, isn't really uh, that well known. Uh, but he did direct a a film in the 90s that won the Palm d'Or at Cannes at, in 95, and he was kind of uh while i was growing up in uh mid 90s as a film buff he was kind of like um really beloved and propped up as almost like the second coming of fellini or something like that in the european uh film circles um and he was kind of a big deal uh during the mid 90s and early 90s that kind of that kind of area And uh, he's still a working filmmaker and he's been uh, making directing features since the early 80s. But um, in the sense of this, for this episode, uh, I just thought of picking two of his films that I think are really underrated, especially when it comes to um, stateside audiences. Uh, The first one is going to be Arizona Dream uh, from 1993. Uh, His first in... Only uh, English language film. Uh, his 1st one—it's not really a Hollywood film, but it has, you know, uh, Johnny Depp and Faye Dunaway, Jerry Lewis, Vincent Gallo, and a lot of like really recognizable, um, top-notch kind of indie/slash art house names from from the era, as far as the as far as American cinema is concerned. And then another underrated is going to be uh, his follow-up to *Arizona Dream*. Which is the Palm Door winner I talked about earlier um, called Underground. But let's first uh, talk about Arizona Dream. Axel, make busy. Very, very
0: busy. Hello. Busy, but willing to take time out from your schedule, Axel. Hello.
1: Axel, make sexy. This is a really odd kind of, um, almost, in a way that works in with, with within dream logic because it's a film about dreams. But it's an odd kind of coming in of age story about how um, our dreams kind of shape the people that we become, and how if we get trapped inside our dreams, we might not be able to um, move forward and become adults and it's but it 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 goes through these themes in a very kind of over the top and bizarre way yet in a way that's like incredibly touching uh and interesting um uh, very quickly we don't usually do synopses on in this show because the films are usually um titles that even the underrated ones that um a lot of film buffs already at least know a little bit about but um in this case, I think not a lot of people know about Arizona Dream or, or Underground, for that matter. So Arizona Dream is, is um, Johnny Depp stars as Axel, uh, this um, kid, I think, in his early 20s who has kind of run away from uh, his hometown in this this small town in Arizona um to, after his parents died, and now he's coming back to, to help out his uncle, played by Jerry Lewis, who owns a, a car dealership, to to kind of help him out, and his uncle wants him to come back home. And during that time, he kind of gets entangled with an older woman, played by Faye Dunaway, who has this dream of building a plane of her own, or has this dream of flying, and um, her depressed daughter depressed estranged daughter is um played by um what's her name i almost want to say lori petty but i I know that's not her um
0: who plays uh the daughter Daughter. dunaway's daughter yeah lily taylor Taylor, i don't know yeah yeah. Yeah, this, this is
1: this yeah she's very um she was definitely like an indie staple especially in the 90s um
0: and so, she's and she's so low key great in this movie too. Yeah.
1: So uh yeah, anyway, and then she gets she gets tangled up in this like kind of love triangle uh, relationship and the, the the whole thing is basically about how all these people have uh, very kind of specific dreams uh about how they want to just kind of escape and uh kind of get lost in their fantasies and how kind of overall how self destructive that can be. Uh, in the end and it does this in this very kind of um I don't wanna say over the top or, or uh comically cartoonish but there's it's definitely like there's a like there's a heated sense of reality to every scene where it's just like it's just a little bit off and a little bit over the top and um it almost becomes absurdist but just manages to keep things little grounded and that that's one of the reasons why he was compared to Fellini a lot, especially in the nineties. Um, but anyway, so, uh, I brought this up to Andy and, um, I don't think, I think you told me that you had, you hadn't even heard of him when I, when that's, I brought him up. That's correct. Yes. Okay. So, um, we have a nice little, uh, American specimen here was, as far as like what I said about how state is not like really well known because Andy's knowledge of, um, cinema is like is of course really really expansive um but going by like the two films that you saw and um uh kind of reeling it back into arizona dream like what did you overall think about what what did you first of all what did you just just overall what did you think about the film
0: i think this film is this film is totally weird um yeah <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good reaction. I, I, I think I think Fellini is a, a good a good reference point. I actually didn't think about Fellini at all. I thought about while I was watching it. I thought more about um, two different filmmakers. I thought about Terry Gilliam. Yeah. And I thought about Preston Sergis You talk about
1: the uh, reality. If, if Harry, Harry, Terry Gilliam made melodramas,
0: yeah, it would be it, it would be, it, it would would be this. like this. Yeah, that
1: makes sense. But like,
0: there's there's a I mean part of it is the surreal element. And part of it is just the, the, I, I do think the, I mean, over the top maybe is not the right phrase, but certainly like the zany, zany screwball yeah. humor, like yeah. that, that dinner scene where Lily Taylor keeps trying to hang herself from the ceiling with, and a bunch cord cord and you know, she just, she just keeps like, yeah, it's, it's, it's completely ridiculous, but, um, but there's, 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 there's something there's always something for grounding kind of the, the ridiculousness something to, to foreground the ridiculousness in. So it's not like it's just silliness for silliness's sake, but it is such a different um, cinematic language uh, even than, than I'm used to that. It took a while to kind of acclimate to. Yeah, isn't,
1: whole, isn't, isn't it kind of like a, like a European art house film, but, Done in a completely kind of American setting, like you see, so many European directors, especially European directors like Kosturko, who have like a very unique voice, come to the stateside and like make an American film and kind of like get. It just feels like he had like um, the the most creative control out of out of all those people. Like it just it really plays out like a lot of his other films. Like it didn't it doesn't feel um compromise at all
0: that's that's the thing that i think is so fascinating or one of the things i think is so fascinating is that it just it feels like someone just threw money at this guy and kind of let him do whatever he wanted like there's there's no sense that at any point did anyone step in and say hey this is uh this doesn't make sense or this is too weird like the whole thing starts with starts off, you know, with the Eskimos and yeah, and uh, the 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 igloo and the the and the, the, the title. The
1: title comes on and Arizona Dream, yeah. and you're you're looking at Eskimos and an igloo, and yeah, it's 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 so bizarre.
0: You're like, what? what like Arizona? You know, in the North Pole? I'm so confused. Like this is yeah. just very strange. Uh, yeah, it just it feels it feels very much like. I mean. I'd never seen a movie by this guy before I saw this movie but watching it I thought to myself mm. this movie feels like only this guy could have made it and it feels like he didn't have to give up like anything to uh to see his vision made it's just very it's very eccentric it's very free it it is not a movie that translates very well on first watch in the sense that you probably need to watch it twice Hmm, to yeah. to walk away with a good sense of what he's trying to say, what the movie is trying to say, um, but this, I I I think I think I would revisit it though because it is a bizarre um, and completely elliptical delight in a lot of ways.
1: It's it's um, he juggles these very different, like complete opposite tones. Uh, Sometimes within the first scene But uh, certainly Scene by scene It's almost like it switches between A zany over the top Kind of uh, screwball comedy And like really really kind of Heartfelt uh, Like tragic melodrama um, Where This would be I think I think he has such a good handle On like balancing those tones that I can't think of a lot of other filmmakers who could have done that. I mean that 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 kind of approach could have been such a just kind of maudlin, schmaltzy um disaster, just trying so hard to like tug at your hard s- strings, but then trying to make you laugh at the same time. But the, the 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 humor and the comedy elements in it are they do come from I think the, the reason why it works so well is because the comedy elements in it, the over the top elements are like this heightened reality comes from the uh the neuroses and the real kind of grounded emotional um emotionally stunted like characteristics of these these characters. Um Yeah. So like everything that happens in it, like you can relate to like that the moment of that that, that wonderful dinner scene where they first all go out to dinner. It's the um they they all have dinner in, in Faye Dunaway's house. And it's uh Faydanoaways character and Lily Taylor, Johnny Depp, and Vincent Gallo having this dinner and there's there's everything that happens in that dinner scene is kind of like par for the course of what you would find in kind of a love triangle melodrama type of but like a prestige type of movie um like recently a name, name like Luca what's his name God Nino comes to mind like that kind of thing like um about like this intricate um relationship details with these people and it's played in a way that's like not just like everything is kind of just it's still kind of dr- dramatic it's still character based it's not like really trying to extract like chuckles out of you for no reason but like the emotions are just like just dialed just up to 11 <laughs> you know just like one more than what you would get out of uh like a like a more traditional um drama, um, even like the, like, it's almost like as the heightened sense that you would get from like a Tennessee Williams play, like that, that kind of like where it like kind of like touches the limit of what you can get away with as as far as like this, the the exaggerated emotional output is concerned. And he kind of like takes it like one bit too far to make it look like, to to, to have it take place somewhere in this like weird purgatory between... Um, like melodrama and screwball comedy and it's it's very hard to like pinpoint that um that approach and that's what makes his voice so interesting and that's what makes his films, especially a film like Arizona Dream where you also have the added element of it being kind of a very like uncompromised European art house film in this like very very American setting and with this very very american cast um It just makes it such a unique and uh, interesting film. I mean, even if you, like, don't like the tone of it, even if you don't like the voice, it's, like, it's really hard not to appreciate how, like, kind of of one-of-a-kind this film is.
0: Think think of it as a a live-action, European art house-infused Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah. (laughs) because I mean, you 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 just you just said it there you know the characters all the characters all act like children like two of them like they they you know grace lily taylor's character is uh the child of elaine faye dunaway's character so there there's that literal connection vincent gallo uh, plays paul who is uh cousin to johnny depp's character axel and the son of jerry lewis's character leo so yeah like you're literally talking about like three of the main characters are functionally children. And then, you know, Faye Dunaway's character is in the rest of development. She's still hanging on to this, this lifelong dream of building a a flying machine for whatever reason. It's, it's all I, that, that dinner scene for me, I think is kind of like the, the perfect embodiment of everything that, that is that everything that happens in this film, that everything that, uh, Historica is doing in this film. I mean, there's, there's like the, there's like the Euro Ranch factor where, you know, Paul keeps on going under the table hmm. to harass Lane and, and Grace keeps playing footsie with Axel and there's a turtle crawling across the table because Grace loves turtles and, like, yeah, it's,
1: it, these are scenes that you've seen in many films like this before but yeah. like he takes it to that like one extra level by like having that little by, by adding these little like absurdist details like the turtle just keeps coming up and he keeps like putting the turtle back and like right. it just it just turns into this like this the screwball comedy setting because of all these like you would have in another movie you would have like oh the characters are playing footsie on the table but no the um Paul like literally goes under the table and sticks her, sticks his head like in uh, Faye Dunaway's crotch. Like it's, it's just like he goes that like one extra mile to make it like, to create this tone that's like that's like borderline cartoonish and absurdist, but still manages to keep the characters themselves grounded. Like the the their their neuroses and their eccentricities are grounded and relatable in the way that like how. Universal. The movies themes are about uh, what it re- what it means to mature, what it means to grow up, what it means to to dream. But do you dream responsibly, or can your dreams kind of eventually take over your your whole being, and then you're kind of like trapped, just like Faye Dunaway's character in this like uh, rest of yeah. Development? And she's the one that's like the obvious uh, example of that. Um, situation because she's the older character and in some ways Jerry Lewis's character is is as well but he's in a different he's on the different spectrum of that that Axel is trying to figure out like between do you just grow up and stop dreaming and become like a career person whatever your job is and then that's your life or do you just like keep dreaming and you try to realize your dreams no matter how Weird and impractical they might seem, just like Faye Dunaway's dream about, you know, she dreams about like living in Papua New Guinea, like which she she'd probably be bored in like two days if the reality <laughs> happened. She dreams about building a flying machine so that she could fly away, which like whatever flying machine she builds, she's just gonna fly like, you know, uh, Into two a two miles or three miles or something like that. So. Uh, so in, in between deciding these things, Faye Dunaway's character comes across as the obvious, like, one who's in, like, Arrested Development, who's the one that, like, you can kind of point your finger and at and say, like, oh, she's, like, pathetic and whatever. But every character has these, um... Like, Lily, Lily Taylor's, like, almost petulantly childish obsession with, like, dying and coming back as a turtle. Uh, Jerry Lewis's obsession with, um selling so many is he he sells Cadillacs right yeah so selling so many that's right yeah selling so many Cadillacs that it would reach the moon and there's there's beautiful and every every single one of these characters they get this like this this beautiful kind of dream logic imagery uh that like that you get especially the one that you get with Jerry Lewis I think you know what which one I'm talking about is is just incredibly touching um you know the the one with the ambulance, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and the same happens with Lily Taylor's character uh as well, and you have these like kind of he does give at least in the form of like his art that where he understands that with the language of cinema you can actually like give your characters the the things that you desire, so he almost does that, but at the same time he's almost. He's kind of as grounded as well in terms of like what the main character, Johnny Depp's character, Axel, is going through. And um, his kind of realization at the very end, especially the very, very final scene about what it means to be, what it means to mature and what you leave behind and what you take in the process is, is that, that stuff is very, very poignant and very universal and done in this like incredibly touching way. Yet all of this is kind of like um, inserted into this this really kind of out there uh, almost like like out there melodrama slash slapstick comedy.
0: You know, it's I think I think the thing that that maybe one of the things I was looking for in this movie was kind of like. Like a model for for middle ground. You're, I want to go back to what you were talking about as far as like the extremes. With Jerry Lewis representing one extreme and Faye Dunaway representing the other, in terms of, um, you know, how how one reconciles their dreams as they become adults. And the, the, those there, are
1: the two influences for the Johnny Depp character, really. Yeah,
0: yeah, they are, they really are. And 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 there's kind of there's kind of no in between. So that's a conclusion he winds up really arriving at on on his own and I I feel like Mm. maybe the movie needed some like something to get him from from Jerry Lewis and Faye Dunaway to that middle ground but maybe maybe the movie could not work if it if it ever bothered to look for the middle ground Mm. any more than it already does I mean I mean like a uh, the Faye Dunaway character lives in competition with her daughter, and mm. Jerry Lewis lives kind of in denial of, uh, of his age, his age, I his mean, mortality. Yeah, like, eventually, like yeah, he's
1: yeah. when when we first meet him, he's getting married to this like twenty-year-old yeah. girl, and there's this like really funny scene where she just like bursts out crying because she finds out that she's that Johnny Depp's character is like older than Her. she is. Or like the same age or something. <laughs> and then like yeah. uh and then Jerry Lewis is trying to like just, just curb all that stuff by pretending as if like he's having this and he even like gives a speech about like how marrying a younger woman just shows power. So it's all about like his the way it's all about appearances for him. And in in a way I, that's as as you know it's it's more culturally accepted to be that kind of a person but it's it's all it's more it's as almost as emotionally stunted as um fake Dunaway's situation is
0: he's he's kind of I mean at you know first literally literally a specter and then or figuratively a specter and then literally a, a specter for like for the for uh for the movie I, ca- I guess I kind of wanted more of of him in the movie because we don't really get to see a lot of uncle leo we don't get to spend a whole lot of time with uncle leo mm. and i feel like being as he's such a major influence um you know i, I being as he's such a, a a major influence on johnny Depp, mm. i kind of feel like he needed to be there more than he was like he does show you, up you would have and... you would
1: have you, you, you liked to have seen him like maybe come back to the store and try it out again or something like maybe a you know, because once he moves in with Faye Dunaway, the movie pretty much sticks to that location.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it. Again, it's sort of like hard to make demands of a movie like this because movies like this kind of function on their own terms, and they yeah. don't really, they don't <laughs> really care. Like, yeah. it, it, you know, c- clear, clearly, you know. Um, Clearly, Costa Rica didn't really think that Leo was that important to the movie. Maybe he just he felt like all he, all Leo really needed to do was be there and push yeah. uh, Johnny Depp in the, in the direction of running the, I, I can, the family I business. I
1: can kind of see that um, it's almost like you learn as much about Leo as you need to by the time the first act is over. Like, he's just... He's determined, he wants to be a... He's all about appearances. He's a businessman. and Just that, that kind of, like, the two influences that the Axel character has in this, like, crossroads as he's becoming a man. And he's, like, when we first meet Axel, he's he's kind of... He has this kind of affinity for fish. He has a job where he, like, counts fish, like, yeah. for the census or fish something. Counter. Fish counter. Yeah. He has a fish, fish counter. And he has this, like romanticized affinity for fish where he says like, Oh, the fish don't have to think anything. That's why they're like always in the moment. And like, he's kind of like, like he has, he has this ideal. And, um, but he also realized that he's also kind of running away from this eventual crossroad, like of maturity that he's going to bump into eventually, like regardless, And, um, so I think Jerry Lewis kind of represents that that side of that, like, kind of career person determined about appearances, but, like, has this kind of, you know, and he also feels guilty about, you know, I guess it was a car accident where he was driving drunk, and then that's how his, Axel's family, Axel's parents died. And so yeah. he feels guilty about that. So he wants to, like, kind of treat him like his son, but then at the same time he wants to also kind of push him towards what kind of life he should lead he's like oh yeah i want you to take i always dreamed about take you taking over the the car dealership and all that stuff and like axel has no interest in that and and almost like it to me i never really questioned why we didn't spend as much time with um leo mainly because um i feel like once axel starts working at um the cadillac dealership and you have this like wonderfully bizarre scene where they're they're they keep like micromanaging how he says hello to the customer yeah (laughs) um and like you see all that like awkward stuff and it just like sticks out like such a sore thumb like you immediately start getting that this kid's gonna last like maybe two or three days there and uh and so from then that point on the way he like kind of leeches himself onto Faye Dunaway's situation it just makes sense to me that he just doesn't want to go back to To Leo. But um, I do understand in terms of like maybe having a little bit of that like push and pull between the two uh, kind of mentor, quote unquote mentor characters with their own like gigantic issues. Um, uh, Could have been more interesting, but at the same time, this is certainly a film where um, I don't think Costa Rica like really gave a damn about any kind of conventional narrative structure no. or like balance between the characters and how much screen I, time each character gets and all that stuff I, that's th- very... I think i
0: think that's literally the only fact that anybody could agree on about yeah him <laughs> and about this movie is that <laughs> like he just he just he made this movie and to, to like to hell with what you think about it
1: it's, it almost <laughs> has that like uh you know there are films like that where it's like i kind of feel that way about for example like there will be blood where it's like it's just that the person who made it like kind of didn't really care like how they just wanted to tell the story like how it was going to be received or you know it's 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 like this very kind of straightforward um laser focused um approach to to filmmaking about like oh i have this vision and i'm just going to do this vision like it's yeah it's almost yeah. like every day he just decided on like um okay, this is where this is gonna go today, like and that kind of thing, but it doesn't have this like kind of annoying French new wavy kind of where the whole point is to deconstruct the narrative, but like it doesn't have that kind of feel to it,
0: well because it's just unrelentingly weird, and yeah. honestly like you know to just to, to to touch on Jerry Lewis one more time before I move on from him forever i I think I think. I didn't really consider the fact that he was not a a prominent part of the of the story uh, because I had such a good time with done away with Deb with Gallo and with Taylor. Like you have such a such a blast, even at the most like morbid stretches of the well, maybe not the most morbid stretches. Even when the when the movie is going into Gallo's humor, I mean, especially with with, with uh, Lily Taylor, whose character is deeply suicidal. Um, Like the, the time you spend with these characters is just so unpredictable and it kind of goes from, from whimsy to, to, you know, when, you know, from being whimsical to uh, running like these perverted jokes by you, like visual gags, uh, one-liners to, to being like melancholic, to being romantic, to being um, like in love with the movies because I think Vincent Gallo is literally here just so he can just, have that scene yeah, that, where he does, where he recreates North That, North that is hilarious. Like, there are, there are
1: these kind of, like, comedy set pieces in this film that can rival a lot of, like, great absurdist comedies. Like, that... Vincent Gallo's character overall is, like, comedy gold for a film buff, because all he does... And it also, like, fits in with the themes of the the, the story because he's... He always talks about, like, how... You know, first of all, I wonder how much research Vincent Gallo had to do to play like a smug, annoying prick because you know, I bet he did a lot of research. <laughs> To, to like get himself into that role but anyway like well and, uh, and he's
0: so he's so infantile too like it, you know talk about arrested development that that guy is just like such a such a man baby yeah he he, um, he
1: acts like he's like this smoldering kind of alpha male figure and he's just like he always like, like there's a scene in the movie theater where they're watching raging bull and uh, he just straight up like goes up on the screen and ruins the whole movie for everybody by just like reciting all he does is like he just memorizes lines from like de niro and pacino movies and just yeah. recites them that's like or he just he just recreates scenes from movies he doesn't he's not an actor in the sense of like you get to take a material and you find a way to uh like that character i don't i don't know what i think he would just choke and freeze if he was ever given like uh, you a know, dialogue a real opportunity, like a real dialogue from a movie that doesn't exist, where he well, would have to an... actually give his own interpretation
0: to the lines. Yeah, because he doesn't even he doesn't interpret Cary Grant at all when he's doing the talent show. Yeah. Like he's he's a better Cary Grant when Faye Dunaway accidentally chases him down with her flying machine. Than oh yeah, he is when he's in the talent show. <laughs> yeah, like he just you know the the De Niro Pacino. That's how he introduces himself. When he's talking, when he's like uh, ordering two two beers and two shots, yeah. And, and Depp's character calls him on it. He's like, "This is how all the great New York tough guys talk." But yeah, he's so he's also know, living I, I in this of... like
1: dream world where it's like he thinks like the movie, you know, the New York in movies or East Coast in movies, is like what the reality is or something.
0: Yeah, I mean that's and that would be that would be his his specific dream world. Like everybody has. Their own dream world here. I I guess I just, I guess I assumed to start off with that that Paul, that Vianna Vincent Gallo's character would kind of be an agent for, and I, sorry, I lied. I had one more thing to say about Jerry Lewis. Now, and after this, I'll move on from (laughs) it forever. But I just assumed he would be an agent for for Uncle Leo, and he's kind of like, he's kind of completely divorced from anything that Uncle Leo, any responsibility. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why Uncle
1: Leo wants to give the business, I think, to to To, to Axel, Axel. because he knows that what a fuck up and, like, lame-o, his his son is, because he's this guy who just, like, who just basically just recreates and memorizes, like, famous movie lines, and that's all he does as far as, like, and I love love how he keeps saying that he has a performance coming up, so he has to be careful, it's just an audition, and then, like, (laughs) Axel just keeps repeating, Axel just keeps reminding everybody, it's just an audition, like, he doesn't... He doesn't really have a performer. So it's it's great in the way that it just like creates this like these individual characters who are funny and interesting in their own. But it like every single one of them fits that whole theme of like what it really means to grow up and either letting go of your dreams or adjusting your dreams and do you lose something? And if you do, what do you gain? Like it just goes back to that like metaphor about the fish, which is like the fish and the balloon And you have all these, like, kind of very art housey, symbolic visuals draped across the film, especially when it comes to dream sequences, which are, um, like, kind of really fun, but yet oddly touching, uh, images of that represent, you know, childhood, the, uh, path to adulthood, and all that. And what you learn about the fish at the very end is also, like, very uh it's a a bit on the nose but it's very i find i still find the ending to this film the the very very end scene the with the eskimos to be like to be really like touching in an odd way
0: i i I, emphasis on the odd i mean everything everything about this movie works works in an odd way i mean yeah i i i confess that i i really only remember that the end and i'm again I'm, i'm 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 proving myself a liar. The end focuses on Jerry Lewis and Johnny Depp yeah. as Eskimos in the snow talking about Halibut. Like it's yeah. just, yeah, that's I, your I final
1: scene in a movie about in a character-driven Arizona. movie about Arizona. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I and and they're speaking
1: I, in the the ancient like as whatever what I forgot what the language, is, but they're speaking the language. Like it's not the dialogue isn't in English.
0: Yeah, I. What was that? Uh, ink. I don't, I, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna remember. So I'm not even yeah. gonna try. I actually. You know what? I actually really like that detail because I feel like. You know, I recently watched. Um, I recently watched. Well, not too recently, but I watched *Death of Stalin* a few weeks ago. Oh yeah. And uh, so, a that movie is totally in English. B, no one tries to affect a Russian accent. Yeah, and everybody and has I their think... own
1: like American or British or whatever
0: natural accents. Which which works totally in that film's favor, and it's that's a detail that works for that movie. But for this movie, I can't imagine, like what, the, like I think it would have thrown me completely off if Costa Rica had had you know just said, you know what, just speak English and don't try to affect an accent at all. Yeah, I, th- I think that I think that sells that sequence so much more because they, you know, maybe it's, I'm I don't I don't speak the language for all. Yeah. I know they're completely butchering it, but I think it sells. Yeah. that it it helps sell that dreamlike component, which yeah. is really what the entire film rides on. It's just a sustained surrealist dream. It's really that
1: like one other detail that um, kind of shows that like you they he didn't have much. Even though it's an American film, it doesn't look like he had any studio interference. Because you know that like a producer, like an American producer, would be like, have them speak English. Like, why would we need like subtitles for like an ancient Eskimo? Language that no one speaks anymore.
0: Well, the, and the, or the producer would have stepped in and been like, oh, Paulina Poroskova should have been in this movie more, too. Yeah, exactly. Because she's, she's you know, not, young yeah. and blonde. And, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so it's, it's, a, it's an un, uncompromised vision, regardless of whether or not you think it's, it's weird or like it's. it's I, I, I feel like it's, especially if you're a film buff looking for like really uh, legitimately unique films that it's like even if i feel like you're gonna hate it i feel like you should just you should check it out
0: there is something to be said for for an uncompromised vision because i i mean we don't get we don't get very many of those yeah of all, like of all the films that i've seen in the like the last 365 days you know get out phantom thread you were never really here they're they're just like yeah they're, they're few, there are not many movies few and far between just, yeah, that they they're just they don't they don't happen very often.
1: Yeah, so uh, as as when we get into um, talking about compromise, uncompromised visions uh, there's a flip side to that where an uncompromised vision can also kind of get you in trouble. So that that could like lead us into underground.
0: Yeah. <laughs> i don't know if you did any <laughs> i don't know if you
1: did any research about like the backlash that happened after the movie and all that stuff but we
0: can get into it um T- but, tell me tell me everything because yeah. i i can't imagine that a movie like this could get made yeah. and what did it it, it won no it won the um it won the palm door in 95 like, like imagine yeah can't like this movie can't get made with d'Or and not Somehow, like, and somehow Piss, piss someone controversy. off, at least. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
1: So, uh, yeah, my other underrated pick is um, Kostryka's follow-up to Arizona Dream, where he goes back to his, uh, you know, I almost said, like, home country, but the whole point of Underground is that his home country doesn't exist anymore <laughs> and hasn't <laughs> existed in the way that he remembers it for a long, long time, and that's kind of the point of the film. Uh, yeah, he goes back to... Um, Tell the story of how Yugoslavia kind of completely broke apart through, um, you know, uh, corruption, cronyism, uh, all kinds of like evil acts and fascist, you know, f- fascist wars and just, you know, just brings out the portrait of this it, it, over three hours. He basically um, just showcases the Kind of like the raping and pillaging of this of his country over something yeah. like, um, at least like fifty years or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. The
0: movie the movie ends in uh 1992.
1: Yeah, like when that like kind of Bosnian Serbian war was like really heating up and uh, it was there was carnage all over the place and yeah, it's it's but it's it's a film that's um just like Arizona Dream. It's a film that I find. To be fascinating, incredibly weird, odd, and hilarious, but then at the same time, incredibly touching and beautiful in many, many ways. Um, it kind of has the same, you know. It's it's a story of, uh, you know, it was it was edited down from like a five-hour Yugoslavian or Serbian because you know uh, mini series. Yeah. Um, you know, at least it was made for. Uh, the cinema and, um, but Kosturga kind of made a side deal to have it turn into a miniseries, so it was written as a five hour movie, right? Basically. And, Jesus. and he didn't know if he was going to cut it into two movies or if he was going to release it like one three hour movie, so he just released three hour movie, uh, which was a good idea, in my opinion, because this is this movie runs for three hours, but like it's it's hard, it's just so engaging in the way that it just like zips by all these like giant epic story beats like one after the other in a way that's just like it's it's head spinning but it also like just constantly keeps you like glued to the screen and the um his kind of trademark uh approach to um these very kind of serious dramatic situations with like this approach of uh like this tone like this comical cartoonish tone Uh, It's a film that's basically like, it's just like Arizona Dream. If you gave this to another kind of more presti, straightforward drama director, you would get kind of a dry historical tragedy. Um, Which, you know. And you know know what? Yes. Oh, go go ahead.
0: Sorry, sorry. I'm interrupting you. Go ahead.
1: Oh, uh, just, uh, yeah. Just say what you were going to say and then I'll Well,
0: I mean, the thing is, we have seen, we've seen movies um, like, you know, prestige movies or like art house movies that kind of end where the first part of this movie ends. We've seen, you, you know, you have movies like defiance or black book where, mm, yeah. where somebody resists the Nazis and the movie is about them mm-hmm. resisting the Nazis. And then it, you know, they, they achieve victory, whatever that looks like. And then the movie ends. But, but in this, in this movie, when, when that when that movie ends, you you're you're getting out of your seat and Costa Rica runs up and says, Whoa, 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 whoa. hang on. There there's more. There's more. Hold there's on. Another there's another two hours to go. To <laughs> and in and in that next two hours you learn that the people who you're just rooting for to beat the Nazis are like fucking horrible people. Yeah. Like they just do terrible things.
1: Yeah, and, and it's it's yeah, it's, it's basically just, about oh, like God. Yeah, these two um sociopaths basically like the movie starts with these two like kind of drunken horrible uh like black market arms dealers uh serbian um like one of them is uh blackie and the other one is uh marco those are the two main characters that you follow throughout and the movie begins with them basically getting shit faced and straight up like shooting at the band like they have they're they're such like narcissistic characters that they have an entire like balkan um, horn section following them as they're like riding in a <laughs> cart, and they're they're straight up like shooting at them and like these. And the, the, what I love about like the opening within the opening credits, you get the tone and the um and also what these characters are about within like the first two three minutes of the movie uh and the world that they inhabit because the the band the the horn section that's following them. While they're being shot at, they're just basically like ducking and getting out of the way. Like there's no like panic or anything. Like this is like normal uh, day-to-day thing for them. And Right, like
0: when you belong to a a brass band in Belgrade, you just know that you're going to get shot at. Like your your,
1: your customers are just going to shoot at you because they're like heavily connected arms dealers or something like that. (laughs) But it's it's, uh, – and then, you know, the story is about like how these characters like become really big – within the, the communist party at the time because they beat the, uh, the, the Nazis. And, uh, but they, they, they beat the Nazis through like totally selfish and sociopathic ways. Uh, they're, they're kind of like the, they're kind of like monsters that you can't help, but at least, um, like they're fascinating in the way that like how nonchalant they are about their kind of out there, like completely exaggerated, like, hedonistic behaviors. Um
0: yeah. And then
1: I mean... and then when they when they beat the Nazis, there's it the story takes a twist where they're like both of them are in love with this this actress and uh uh Blackie marries like forceful like straight up kidnaps this woman and forcefully marries makes her marry him. But then uh under this like condition almost like a Stockholm syndrome, she falls in love with Marco and in order to in order for Marco to have to keep the the actress Natalia, uh, he creates this like insanely elaborate plan where he keeps like Blackie and his uh, entire family and all these like I don't know how many people under this like shelter under his house and keeps pretending that the war is still going on and this goes on for like what twenty two years something like that, and he keeps, yeah, he keeps having to on, come up yeah. with like with like. Um, Uh, like these Hollywood like scenarios about like the resistance that's still going on outside and he pretends to be shot or pretends to be get beaten by the Nazis and all that stuff. While in the above ground, he he's, he's like sleeping with Natalia and has a long relationship with her and he's being, he's like the second in command of the communist party or something like that. He's like seen as a hero um, so it's, it's just like, and then it, it, the whole thing kind of wraps up in this like really, uh, kind of really dark and tragic third act, uh, where we, uh, kind of get into the, the Serbian Bosnian war in the nineties. The um, so it just like, it just covers like this downfall of his country in this, like really like out there uh execution while also um you know telling telling the story in those in those segments but but overall like what do you what do you think of underground overall like how would you compare to arizona dream as as far as like which one you like the most or you know
0: i i think i think i vibed more easily with this one see here's the thing they both speak both of these movies speak kind of a, a cinematic language and it just just not not maybe this doesn't need to be clarified but i don't mean like you know the actual language that the characters are speaking i mean like the kind of movie Mm -hmm. that it is like this this speaks a like a movie language that uh i mean both of them speak like a language that i that i get like i am i've watched weird surrealist art house movies like eight and a half um you know like like brazil like i you know like the, the works of uh um then now i'm completely dro- oh, like i watched holy mountain yeah like so, the, like, middle, cetera, middle ground
1: between fellini and gilliam seems to be like where costa rica lies
0: <laughs> yeah pretty much so but the thing the thing is that kind that's that language even if you are even if you are used to movies like that, is still really hard to penetrate whereas this is a war movie and even if it's like a a and abs- like surreal and absurd in its own ways, it's a lot more easy to to process and understand. That said, um, it's also just way harsher. And there's mm-hmm. really, like even even when the even when Marco and Blackie are fighting Nazis, like it's you know that they're just they're not they're not good guys. Yeah. So so like you root for them when they're fighting Nazis because that's what you do. But then you know eventually. That they have to win because this is a, this is historic. It's World War Two, yeah. And so then what's like, going
1: to happen when right. one one set of sociopaths are going to take over for another set of sociopaths?
0: All right, you you know, you find out twenty years later that Marco is, has been keeping Blackie and, and and Blackie's family and all these other survivors in his grandfather's cellar. It's his cellar, and somehow it becomes like a small a underground city, city of its own in yeah. twenty years. Like there's, it, it's. I think the fact that. I think there's, there's some like grim gritty version of this. Not that this isn't grim or gritty, but there's some like really like somber, joyless version of this movie. Um, and in that version there, there isn't like an underground city yeah. that was made out of a, out of a cellar. Yeah. Like there's the, where, where the, they build the, a fucking tank from scratch where they build a tank from scratch and then a monkey, whatever we're, <laughs> I'll get into the monkey later, but it's just, it's such, it's, it is it, like it's so strange, and so ex- eccentric in the way that in, in a lot of the ways that uh, Arizona Dream is, or maybe not in the same ways, but it's it, it is it is eccentric and odd, just like Arizona Dream is also eccentric and odd. It's just that these eccentricities are applied to a, like a, a, a formula and a blueprint that we're a lot more familiar with. I think that has a way of kind of uh offsetting the, the awfulness of mm. the uh of the the setting the circumstances and of the leads but but it doesn't i mean i don't think i don't think costa rica wants you to think that these are the blackie and marco are like good dudes at any point
1: yeah that, that was part of the in my opinion unfair criticism towards the film and it just pushed him to a point where he actually said that he's not going to make films anymore because especially after the palm door of win um like a lot of Serbs and you know other races within the former Yugoslavia uh, a lot of critics were like you know he's these people have destroyed our lives the people like Marco and Blackie and you're turning up you're making kind of light of them or at the at the very least like making them look almost like sympathetic figures but it's it's the same kind of um, unfair criticism that i like it's almost like you know when. When, for example, like when Wolf of Wall Street came out, there was a lot of like, oh, it's, it glorifies this guy's life. Or when Scarface comes out and people take the wrong uh, lessons from it. It's almost like that. It's like just because these characters are the protagonists and they're they're funny, but they're funny because they're so outrageously like evil in right. many, many ways. That's what makes them funny. They're not they're not like funny because they're, they're not, they're not fascinating because they're just like, they're good people. Like the movie, like I said, it begins with them straight up shooting at like band members. And it just goes from there into, you know, straight up kidnapping, rape, like whatever heinous acts you can come up with. Right. All the way to like them, like they just don't have any empathy or, uh, uh, for the society that they live in. Like there's that, there's a wonderfully madcap scene where they disrupt this, this theater play that's going on because the, the main actress in the, in the play is, is Natalia. So Blackie just straight up just walks onto the stage and fucking starts beating up the actor because they're like, they're doing like some kind of like romance scene or something. And like the, and on the sidelines you see Marco like screaming in the face of an old lady and, just they're they're almost like cartoon villains in in many, many ways, so i I don't yeah that 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 criticism that backlash to me has always felt even back then when I first saw this movie, I was like sixteen years old, so I didn't really understand the the political or historical context, and even then, like when I heard the criticism, I was just like, well, they're not supposed to be like good guys they're the whole you just like just like in Wolf of Wall Street, where you can tell like how much scorsese like personally loathes a character like um yeah Belfort. Oh, he he
0: hates jordan Belfort. jordan Belfort, he you can tell him.
1: that like emir costarica with his you know sometimes to express your complete disdain for a certain kind of toxic personality is to just ridicule it to no end and i think that's what he's doing is that he's he's like mercilessly ridiculing these people as like these <laughs> selfish hedonistic like they act like the first Half for the first hour of the movie, they are supposed to be like, you know, they have this incredible bound as like best friends, and they're there for each other. For and the second, Marco realizes that oh, I can actually like uh, have this woman as my wife, and also like become like a hero to the communist party if I keep my friend, like, and my friend and his entire family and another like twenty, thirty people just locked up in this cellar for twenty fucking years. Yeah. Where they don't even see the sun. I mean, there's this one like beautifully like understated moment where, uh, and he he has a kid, Blackie, and Blackie's Blackie's kid sees the sun for the first time, and there's this like kind of uh, overwhelming feeling that appears on his face, and it's like, um, so he he like he's also a character that does that. So it just and the the kind of tragedy that it like snowballs into in the third act. Uh, when we get to the Bosnian War uh, of the '90s, um, it's almost like kind of like this. Yeah, this is the inevitable conclusion of this. If you if you give power to these types of people, this is the inevitable conclusion that you're going to get. So it's in many ways it's a tragedy, but it's a tragedy that's like wrapped up in this tone of like kind of uh, outrageous slapstick comedy that only like like we said about this movie in Arizona dream that I feel like only Costa Rica could have pulled off. You,
0: you know that I, th- I think, I think that crit- the criticism of, of uh, Blackie and Marco and using them as representatives of these people during this, this, this time during this like stretch of history, I think I would find that more valid if not for the fact that Costa Rica goes out of his way to include characters like Ivan who I think really are supposed to be, you represent like yeah. regular people. And the regular like there, people get
1: like, there's, he, he has an emphasis on showing you that the regular people get fucked over, over and over again.
0: Yeah. Like re- repeatedly. And it's, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's by, you know, occupying forces or whether it's by, you know, by guys like Marco, um, it's always, it's just you know, regular people just getting, getting hammered. I think, I th- the, the Ivan character just just kills me mm-hmm. because he his character has to bear like the full like almost the full brunt of of Marco's deception. Mm-hmm. You know, the in the in the last act of the movie, he's a he's a zookeeper, so he clearly has some kind of um either just some kind of speech impediment mm-hmm. or or mental disability. Mm-hmm. I could I couldn't quite tell what what the whether the movie is trying to convey or one or the other, but he's the he's the know.
1: he's the ultimate like penultimate innocent of the like he represents the innocent right. members of the of that that country, that society in in many ways
0: right like he's and, pure. And, yeah, he's completely pure and and his entire life is really if first, I mean, okay, I can't put all of it on Marco like the the Nazis ruin his life first. yeah, like the Nazis the Nazis blow up his zoo. The Nazis like destroy. The, the thing in his life that he yeah. is responsible yeah marco for. marco
1: just goes hold my beer yeah,
0: <laughs> Mar- yeah Mar- marco just marco just swoops in and is like i'm 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 gonna make this worse but you're not gonna know that it's me that's making it worse like the the <sighs>
1: that's, that's why Ivan's, the scene near, near the end where he finds out what's been going on and then he just can't stop but throwing up it's just, it's just so heartbreaking
0: And then, yeah, like it's, for me, for me, like the, the grimmest moment in the movie is when Ivan hangs himself from the church bell. It's like the ult. like you, you, if you talk about how he, how he is just representative of of human innocence, Mm -hmm. that's the moment where, that's like the moment where innocence is like fully snuffed out of the movie. Because at that point, there's no one left but, but Blackie and Marco and Natalia, and they're all terrible how how he ends India. up
1: in the bosnian war it makes perfect sense like how each one of them end up in that war makes perfect sense like you know when you and with with ivan's trajectory it's just like yeah it's like this innocence is finally dead and uh, but it's it's been the but it's been, that that death has been being cultivated over like 50 years yeah like, it's, just it's bit a long by time bit, they steal his his innocence his purity and it's no, it's no accident. I don't, I don't think it's an accident that 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 hanging scene takes place in a church either. Um,
0: no. Yeah. So I mean, it's, should... it's
1: it's touching, and, and his 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 deep connection with that 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 chimp, um, and like Sony. Yeah, Sony, uh, and and this is by the way, this is like a world you know war drama with a chimp as one of the main characters <laughs> and oh, man. Um, i was i was yeah. rooting
0: for sony the whole time yeah yeah and it's you could, um, you could root for sony you wouldn't feel you wouldn't feel guilty rooting for sony
1: yeah exactly he's the he's the he, ivan and sony are like the representatives of just uncut purity in the in a film full of like just horrific horrific people uh but yeah the and the 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 whole thing with the, the chimp is, is just really bizarre, but like fits the whole tone of the movie as well. And like I said, like with about Arizona dream, if any other, if another director were given this material as is like with the chimp and everything, like it would be, it would, the, the, the abrupt tonal shifts would have been shifts would have been a disaster.
0: Yeah. I, I think again, I, feel, I just, I just feel like, I feel like this is, not necessarily a World War Two movie. Not necessarily uh, a uh, like a war movie in general. It's it's a Costa Rica movie. Like yes, it's just exactly. it, like I don't you 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 know I, I mentioned you know Black Book and Defiance as, yeah. as maybe templates or not templates because they came after this. Like but those maybe, types you know, of
1: movies. Yeah.
0: Right. Ex- right. The the thing is, you just you will never find a movie that falls kind of in this category that is that is like this because yeah. who would think of having a monkey climb inside of a tank and blow up a wall hmm. and free people who have been trapped in an underground cellar. Yeah, it sounds like a Disney years. movie
1: when you, when you like describe it, you know,
0: it sounds like, it sounds like exactly. It sounds like a cartoon because yeah. that's like, he just makes live action. These, these weird live action cartoons
1: about incredibly grim subject matter like it's it's, it's so, so dark yeah, yeah yeah exactly this is a really really like when you when you're done with the whole experience and you have that final final scene um that is at least supposed to give you a little bit of like little bit of levity after all that because the third act of this movie is like is insane it's bleak dark. it's bleak as hell <laughs> uh but yeah even then it's like the whole the whole story, the whole subject matter, that what happens to, like so many like innocent people, how they just all get fucked over by this these kind of like man children who are, who just think like uh, the world, their world is like a playground for them uh, is just is insane. Like the sadness behind all this like absurdity, he never flinches away from it, um, even when he's kind of like exploiting it to its like end to the nth degree. And that's what makes his vision so like unique and interesting.
0: That that idea is planted so early on, not not just with the the brass band and and the the frat boy obnoxiousness, but like you learn real quick that Blackie's wife thinks that he's two timing her, and he tells her that he's not, and then the first time we meet Natalia, we learn that he he is, yeah, and he's been having an affair. So like that like that idea that that is carried out all the way to that ending scene where all of the characters are reunited and what I assume is, is what can only be the afterlife. Yeah. And if, if you want to talk about like like influences or where uh Rica gets his, his inspiration, that feels so much like the end of Eight and a Half. Yeah. Uh, it just it it didn't really strike me until just now while we're talking about it. But yeah. it feels like it feels like a both that is both like a, a perfect send off uh, for Christa Rica as a guy who is obviously influenced by Fellini. And it feels like a perfect send off for a movie that is so dark but filled with so much bizarre levity. And it's yeah. also it it also does provide like a nice bit of punctuation for, like, the, the serious elements. There, there's, like, what what are the last lines of the film? Some kind of, like, a, a prayer like, for the dead, if I'm not pray mistaken? Prayer for the
1: dead and this used to be, pray for the dead and what used to be a country.
0: Right, that's right, yeah. And, like, so I,
1: it's it's almost like we will always remember what it was, and, you know, you can never really take the memories away from us, but, you know, it's it's like, a, but it's also, like, kind of like a requiem for that. And it's it's so poignant as well that the final kind of, fourth wall breaking monologue is is, uh is ivan so going back to like how he represents like the yugoslavian purity or purity of like the general like innocence the population that are like kind of screwed over by authoritarian or you know those kind of regimes so it's, it's just like such a poignant and and beautiful ending in in many ways um I did want to bring up a little bit, just like quickly discuss, uh, I, I feel like it's very hard to discuss Emir Kusturica and not bring up uh, Goran Bregovich, who does his, his music for his films. Um, and uh, I always found his like kind of Balkan folk uh, inspired, um, very horn heavy uh, scores and soundtracks to be like, they were like maybe it's it's kind of a personal thing because they were kind of stap the soundtracks were kind of staples of my life while I was in middle school at least um when these films were so popular in like the kind of when I was growing up in turkey in a turkish art house um the kind of like sophisticated older film buffs that I used to hang out with that you know they would we would listen to the soundtracks uh all the time um and what do you, what do you think about like that the scores of these movies,
0: the mu- the music? Well, I'll, I'll tell you honestly, the sc- scores are not usually things that, that stick with me enough that I, that I tend to comment on them. Like if you read my, my, my work, I don't usually talk about mm. uh, the music yeah. that much, but there, there is like a, there's a haunting quality to a lot of, a lot of the, the music in both of, in both of this and uh, maybe not so much in Arizona dream. That's not really a haunting movie, mm-hmm. but, the, the 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 music does for me uh it it did like enhance the experience there there is a lingering haunting quality that kind of you know penet like kind of penetrates my penetrated my brain and made me more open to the experience yeah like, he does a very good job of setting setting the mood and uh <laughs> i in arizona dream it's it's a nice bit of like Off kilter accompaniment to it's
1: it's Balkan folk music, basically. Yeah, in a movie, (laughs) but yeah, again, going back to like all the stuff that you would never expect out of a movie like that. Uh, it fits, of course, it fits underground better, and there's the the folk music in it is is fully integrated into the story as well. Uh, but yeah, there there are these like moments of score that are just like purely just beautifully haunting, where it's kind of like this old, um balkan type of like like wailing music is it's just it's gorgeous um yeah so uh as we're kind of uh wrapping up what would you would you kind of like if someone just like i did with you is if if someone was like you know costarico who the hell is that like should i watch his films like what would be your what would be your reaction
0: i would tell them to watch underground yeah yeah, I would. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even hesitate. I, I think. I think underground in a lot of ways is is more accessible, hmm. which I think is very strange because you know, uh, Arizona Dream is the first one I watched. I looked. At, I looked at the cast list and I said to myself, "Oh, I know, I know all these names. This is this is a, this is a good, comfortable way to acclimate myself to his movies." But yeah. the one that I wound up liking more was was underground. I think yeah, the one how, that...
1: how, how pleasantly weird it is that the 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 American one is more like inaccessible and European than the the Yugoslavian one.
0: <laughs> it's it's just it's a a perfect uh, a perfect contradiction.
1: Yeah, yeah. But we like and and then after that, if would you be like oh, if, and then if you get into it, maybe like check out Arizona Dream.
0: I would I would definitely recommend Arizona Dream, and I know for sure that I'll be trying to hunt down Time uh, Time of the Gypsies. So oh I yeah, that that, that one
1: very quickly. That one, Time of the Gypsies, I wanted to discuss because that's a bit more of a straightforward melodrama. Um, but again, it has all these like bizarre um, kind of magical realism type additions to it, um, and that one breaks the the barrier between what's the dream world and the real world. A little bit more than these two films, um yeah, and that that one's definitely like a worthy uh film to check out as well. those three, in my opinion, are like his kind of his peak era um he has made a kind of a more straightforward slapstick comedy called uh white cat Black Cat after underground which which was pretty good, but and then I kind of like lost track of him since then, but he's still making movies, I think he released uh he made a movie with Monica Bellucci last year that I think didn't wasn't really received that well. So I don't know. He's still he's still around, so maybe he'll uh, he'll come up with something
0: really interesting soon. Well, if he does, I will I will check it out.
1: <laughs> awesome. So well, at the at the very least, I'm happy that um, I've uh, introduced you to uh, to a bizarre filmmaker that you otherwise maybe might not have uh, caught up on. No, I'm happy uh, you
0: introduced me to him too
1: so yeah if if there's one good thing that comes out of this episode like i'm you know that that's that that's great for me <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh yeah let's uh let's wrap up this uh episode of over under movies um thank you so much for listening and uh we want to thank rodrigo Perez for uh hosting us and we want to thank of course thank the playlist and uh our regular co host ryan oliver still um busy with work and getting his like kind of professional life together so he can't he still can't join us for a while but we also want to thank him immensely for editing these episodes uh as usual you can find um new episodes of over under movies uh, on the playlist.net if you go into the uh the podcast section or you can find us on itunes on stitcher uh do you know for anywhere else
0: uh, no, I think that covers it. But okay, cool. I, I could be wrong. I don't
1: know. <laughs> cool. Um, so, and also, you can find Over Under Movies specifically. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash over under movies, or on Twitter uh, at over under movies. And signing off, this is Octavia Kozak. I'm a film critic and contributor for Paste Magazine, the Playlist, um, DVD Talk, and Beauspere dot com.
0: And I'm Andy Crump, film critic for. The Playlist, The Hollywood Reporter, Paste Magazine, Vulture, Polygon, Thrillist, <laughs> The Artery, and too many others to name, so I'll stop there. We only have, like, we don't have another two hours to just wrap it up. <laughs> we'll here, but what, we'll was, your, what was your uh, website where they, everybody oh, can find fine. that? agcrump.wordpress.com
1: There you go. So you can find all that, that stuff, all that stuff for hard working Andy Krupp's uh, great writing. And uh, as far as teasing the next episode, it's more than likely it's going to be, at least the underrated movie is is more than likely going to be uh, Andy's pick of Lynn Ramsey's uh, Ratcatcher. Woo. Um but uh we'll see how that goes. It's, it's not totally set up yet, but um yeah, but what's set up is that we'll we'll see you pretty soon. So thank you so much for listening and uh, have a great day. Bye.